Throughout the history of the world, and in particular the history of God's people, there have been many prophets. And I imagine as I even say that word prophet, there are individuals who come to mind. There were men and women who God used to call people back to himself, to speak his truth to people. Moses was chosen by God to go back to Egypt as a prophet to his people. He went, yes, to speak to Pharaoh, but also to deliver the truth, the reality of who Yahweh was to his people. And he would do that in spectacular fashion uh, for a number of years as they wandered through the wilderness, as he would receive the law and transmit the law to the people of Israel. Samuel was used by God in a critical juncture in Israel's history. He was a prophet who, who came onto the scene after they had made their way back into the promised land. And there was this group of people that wanted a king. And Samuel was there to, to engage in this process all through that experience of their first king, Saul, and, and then there to anoint David. And, and as this transition was happening for God's people, Samuel was a voice who spoke on behalf of of Yahweh delivering truth. Jeremiah pleaded with Israel to repent before the coming destruction of the Babylonians. Uh, Samuel was decently respected. Um, Moses was decently respected, but Jeremiah was not. He's called the weeping prophet because the people didn't want to listen to him. And when he told them, if you don't repent, then the judgment of the Babylonians is coming, they said, uh, we don't want to hear this Let's throw him in a well, or let's persecute him in some other way. He was delivering God's message to his people, but they didn't want to hear. And then there was Jesus, the greatest prophet of all, who would come onto the scene, and, and he's the greatest prophet of all because he is God himself. He is God in the flesh, and he is truth. Every word he would speak is coming from and proceeding from the mouth of God. And John had been with Jesus. John, the disciple, the brother of James, had been with Jesus from the beginning of his ministry. And let's just say that John had seen some stuff. John had experienced some things. John had, had watched Jesus heal blind people. A person walks up who hasn't seen for their entire life and Jesus touches him or says something and all of a sudden, a man can see. John had watched Jesus heal the lame and the leper. He had even seen Jesus and experienced Jesus raising individuals from the dead. John had also watched the church of Jesus grow. Throughout the book of Acts, we read of that growth and the spread of the gospel and churches being established See, John was there that day on Golgotha. From what we understand, he was the only apostle who was there that day outside of the, the women who were there following Jesus. And he was there that day and he saw Jesus crucified and he had outlived all of the other apostles. That was probably a grievous burden because he would hear word, here's what happened to Peter. Peter. Here's what happened to Thaddeus. Here's what happened to Thomas. 
And it was a grievous burden that John would bear. Well, the church was now in its third generation. 70, 80 A.D. And as you can imagine, many Christians, many churches were struggling. They were struggling because there was persecution. Um, there was some from the Jews still, but the Jews had their own things to deal with after the Romans ransacked Jerusalem. And so what we understand is that the greatest persecution during this time would be from the Romans themselves. Many of those Caesars wanted to wipe these Christians, these followers of Jesus off the face of the earth. So they're struggling with persecution and they're suffering at the hands of the Romans. But, but, but bigger than this, there was struggles going on within the church with doctrine, with, with what to believe and what was true and what was false. Because false teachers were in the churches. They were leading people away. They were poisoning the people with lies. In that previous generation, Paul was there writing letter after letter after letter to try to combat against these false teachers on a variety of fronts. Peter doing the same. But Paul and Peter, at this point in history, have been martyred and dead for 10 to 15 years, at the best of our estimations. And the false teachers persist. So like one of those prophets of old, the nearly 80-year-old John, he takes up his pen to write. He writes his gospel, what we find there after Luke, to prove the divine nature of Jesus. It had come into question, was Jesus really God? Or was he just a man who God used, another prophet like Moses or some other? And John took up his pen to write, no, he is God, very God. And he writes his letters to encourage, to remind, to rebuke the churches. And today we begin a journey through John's first letter. Now, for those of us who are used to Paul's letters, which are reasoned, uh, they are organized, they are logical, well, we are going to find John quite different and maybe even difficult to a degree because he seems to, to rant sometimes and maybe ramble on on a topic maybe not as disciplined as Paul in his writing. Many have described his style as, as maybe a, 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 a bird of prey circling over, over some uh, meat that it's about to devour. He, he circles around topics like life, light, and love so that we get a broad picture and understanding. But we do see John's great desire for his readers in the opening section. Here's what he says. He says that you might have fellowship with the Father and that your joy might be full. What a fatherly thing to do, right? He wants his people, he wants his fellow Christians he wants the generations who are behind him and up and coming to have true fellowship or partnership, communion with the Father. True relationship so that we might know the fullness of joy that we're meant to experience. 
So for a moment, I want you to imagine that you are a first century Christian. Just 50 years ago, Jesus was crucified. He was buried. He rose again. He ascended back to the right hand of the Father. And and 20 years earlier, there was a man named Paul. And he showed up in your village. And he was telling of a Savior. And your family miraculously believed this good news that Paul came to share. And so for the past two decades, your family has been meeting with with a dozen or so other families in, in Elizabeth's house. She has the biggest house. And so you've gathered there, not just weekly, but but often, sometimes three or four times a week, you've gathered with these other followers of Jesus to pray, to sing, to hear a word from an elder. But this week as you gather, the room seems abuzz. Something's different. There's a new energy. And as you, as you lean over and you ask your friend, what's, what's going on? What's, what's happening today? You're told that this week the elders received a letter. We hadn't gotten any of those in a while since Paul's been gone. A letter from who? They received a letter from the elder, the apostle John. The last surviving apostle of Jesus. Our elders copied that letter down. They sent it on up the road to the next village, to the next group of Jesus followers. And today, we're going to read what John has to say. That which was from the beginning, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and touched with our hands, Concerning the word of life. The life was manifest and we have seen it and we testify to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too might have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Verse 5. This is the message we have heard from Him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. And if we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. If we say we have not sinned, we make Him a liar, and His word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know Him if we keep His commandments. And whoever says, I know Him, but does not keep His commandments is a liar. The truth is not in Him. 
But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I'm writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you, you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. And I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. And I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know Him who is from the beginning. And I write to you, young men, because you are strong. And the Word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, it's not from the Father, but it is from the world and the world. It's passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. Children, it is the last hour as you have heard that Antichrist is coming. And so now many Antichrists have come. And therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. And I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us. Eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him. So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous... You may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called the children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. 
And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of Death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. And everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, How does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart. And he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God and Whatever we ask and receive of him, because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he did command, just as he has commanded us. So whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. By this we know that he abides in us, by the spirit whom he has given us. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, You are from God, and you have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world. And the world listens to them. We're from God. 
Whoever knows God listens to us, and whoever is not from God doesn't listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. And we've seen and testify that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And so we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love and whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. And if anyone says, I love God, and he hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Well, this is He who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but by the water and the blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. This is the testimony of God that he has been born concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has been born, that God has born concerning his son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God. 
that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, well, there is a sin that leads to death, and I do not say the one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who has been born of God protects him. And the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we who are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. The issue of false teachers and lies has persisted now for 2,000 years. We still fight to defend the doctrines of our faith on a daily, a weekly basis. Lies and unbelief other lusts are daily at work in our own souls, attempting to, to disrupt our fellowship with the Father, our fellowship with others, the joy that is meant to be ours. We need this letter. We need the whole of the book, but we need this letter. We need the Savior that John presents to us in this letter, the life, the, the light, the love that we find in Jesus himself. And so I, will, I hope that you will make it a point to join us as we move through the weeks of this year, the Sundays of this year, and study this letter verse by verse. Next week we will begin in verses 1 through 4 together, recognizing the word of life that is Jesus. I'm going to ask you to bow with me. Father, I... Thank you for the gift of your sufficient word. I can't help but think of what, what you said and wrote to Timothy. Timothy knew the Holy Scriptures from his childhood and they have made him wise to salvation. And even from that point, God, you continued to give to us more revelation, more truth, and that's what we're endeavoring to not only learn from this year, but, but love. Immerse ourselves in the truths of 1 John. Because your word is a sword. Because it is your word that is inspired, it is breathed directly from you. Lord, we believe that it is profitable for doctrine and reproof, 
correction and instruction in righteousness. And I pray that it would be proved, that that would be proved true thousands of times over in our lives as we move through this year. For weary souls who lack confidence that, that we would be infused with the confidence that our eternal life is in Christ. And for those times when we're straying and when we're sinning, maybe, maybe we're hating our brothers. Maybe we've delved into the world too far. God, give us a, a holy rebuke and a hatred for the sin that separates us. And bring us to repentance. Father, I pray as we begin this new year that when we end this year, we will know what it is to truly abide. Abide in Christ. That we will know what it is to be connected to the vine that is Jesus. And that we will end this year with such deep and consistent fellowship that our joy is full in ways that we could have never imagined. God, we're asking that you would do this work. Spirit, we're praying that week in and week out you would help each of us as we prepare to consider your word as we listen to your word, that it would accomplish all that you intend for it to accomplish. We cling to the promise that your word never returns void. You send it forth with a purpose. And Lord, we begin this year in this word, your word, your truth. Thankful as John is thankful for the person, for the Savior, for the life, the love, the light that is Jesus Christ. And it is in His name we pray. Amen. I want to do one more thing before I have Aaron come and lead us in a prayer to begin our new year together. How do we get the most out of a study like this? Well, I want to give you a few things to think about. These are elementary. Number one, I would just simply say this. Keep up with us. As, as we said, these, these sermons will be kind of a circling, spiraling thing. And so it's helpful if you're not able to be here to follow online, be able to keep up with what's going on. Second, spend time personally meditating Beyond the Sunday gathering, you prepare yourself. You know where we'll be the next week. You know where we're leaving off. You prepare yourself and, and study that passage. And then leave here and study that passage all the more. Number three, I would say join a small group so that you can further discuss and apply these truths. For your own soul's benefit to have those conversations and be able to maybe ask some follow-up questions, but 
but to make sure that, that it's not just some knowledge that you're gaining, but it's actually being practically applied to the day-to-day of your life. And so you can also be the brother or sister you're called to be in Christ, part of this family that, that engages other people and makes sure that they're following suit. It's being applied to their life as well. Number four, memorize. Memorize. As you come across verses, some of you, no doubt, as I was reading through that and you're following along, you're like, I remember memorizing that verse. That one sounds familiar. I think I memorized probably a dozen verses out of this when I was in Awana as a kid, all out of 1 John. As you come to those verses that are meaningful, memorize it. Or you can memorize the whole thing as we work through. you got a whole year. You could do it. We could do it. Memorizing God's Word so that it sticks with you, so that it's there in your heart. And then number five, and, and this will be something I, I hope we can talk about more even throughout the year. I think John will press us into this maybe more than some of the other studies we've had. Drop the pretense. What's pretense? It's the play acting. It's the hypocrisy. We're all professional Christians in here, aren't we? We know how to play the part. We know what we're supposed to say. We know how we're supposed to act. We know what our attitude's supposed to be, especially when we walk in those doors. But that's not the reality of our lives, is it? Because you walk back out those doors and the weight hits you. The weight of the suffering that may be existing in your life that nobody else knows about. Maybe the weight of sin that's in your life that nobody else knows about. The first thing we need to be. What's the first beatitude? Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven sounds wonderful, doesn't it? And we know that we are looking forward to and we're anticipating that that time when we will fix our eyes on Jesus as we sang about and be face to face. But we're meant to experience the kingdom here. The Spirit is in us. But how do we do that? Be poor in spirit. What does that mean? Bankrupt. Humble. That's the third one, meekness. They inherit the earth. The entryway into Christianity, into following Jesus, is humility. And that's a path we're we're never to leave. And so my my challenge for you this year, for me this year, is let's let's just be real with each other. Let's, Let's... Let's work into our fellowship and into our families the ability to have genuine conversations about the things that are going on in our lives, areas where we're struggling, so that we can pray for each other, so that we can receive God's Word, so that we can benefit from the grace that is sufficient when we humble ourselves in the Lord. And so, it's okay to admit that you're a sinner. It's okay to admit that you're a struggler. And that's going to be key for us as we move through John. If we say we have no sin, I love John. You're a liar. You're a liar. Straightforward.
I'm looking forward to this uh, journey. I'm looking forward to the challenge that will be First John for each of us as we move through this year.